He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require from you, but to do justice, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In his retirement, my dad has taken up wood turning as a hobby. They were here last week, and he was describing to me some of the, the work and the skill and the labor and, and the difficulty uh, of turning uh, a hand-turned wood bowl. Uh, he's describing uh, all that goes into it and, and how difficult it actually is. And he was telling me about a friend of his who, who went into a store once and saw a, a hand-wood-turned bowl, and, and the price tag on it was $70. And, and his friend was just shocked and blown away at the price of this bowl. He couldn't believe it. Um, but then Dad started to unpack you think about the, the cost of the wood alone. You think about the cost of the tools involved in, in, in doing that and keeping the, maintaining the tools and the electricity, let alone uh, the hours involved in actually crafting this thing and finishing it and, and, and the countless hours of, of honing the skills involved to be able to do it. Uh, and, and when you really factor those things in, the price tag starts to shrink and you realize uh, that it's not that far-fetched. But imagine one day that, that, that there's a, a wood turner who's, who's building bowls and, and a, a, a purchaser comes in uh, and offers, offers $5.75 for this bowl. Uh, it, it would seem shocking, right, based on, on what we just talked about. Um, but perhaps this, 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 this manufacturer, this, this wood turner, the carver, had no other options. There were, there's no one else buying bowls. He had no other way of, of making a living. And this was the only thing that he could do to support his family. And no one else is offering anything other than $5.75 for these bowls. And, and even though the wood for the bowl alone cost him $5, he was forced out of desperation to sell his, his goods for that price, making 75 cents for basically, probably, let's say, three hours' work. And that 75 cents was just enough, potentially, to keep his family from starving. Perhaps a little bit of rice, and that's it. But his family would starve otherwise, and so stuck in a desperate situation. And so then you, you, you picture the, the, the buyer putting that bowl on a shelf for maybe $10. As a consumer, you walk into a store and you see this beautiful wooden bowl for $10. You think, what a great deal. I, I've seen it other places for $70. What a great deal this $10 bowl is. Without realizing that, that in order to get something at that kind of a deal, that someone has to absorb the cost. And in this case, it would be the manufacturer, the producer, that this, this person carving the bowl and his family are absorbing the cost so that we could buy something cheaply. But we don't see any of that. All we see is the screaming deal that we got on this bowl. And then go home and enjoy it. Um, sadly, this is actually the, the, the system, the plight globally that many, 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 many people are stuck within it. And what's driving this kind of unjust system is this, this rampant, insatiable appetite for more. Uh, as far-fetched as that illustration might seem, it's actually the truth that goes on regularly all around us. But it wasn't always the case. A uh, hundred years ago, we as a society were, were defined by things like family connections, faith, stewardship, 
generosity. These were our identity, and this is what we prided ourselves on, uh, you know, a hundred years and beyond. Uh, but things started to change pretty rapidly. You can look at the history of it uh, after World War II, and, and it, it wasn't an accidental thing. It was planned. Coming out of World War II and, and, and the massive industrial economy in the West, um, there were economists who, who had planned uh, for a consumer-driven, consumeristic economy. Uh, and here's what one famous economist named Victor Lebeau said uh, in the 1950s. And I quote, Our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life, that we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals, that we seek our spiritual satisfaction, our ego satisfaction in consumption. We need things consumed, burnt up, replaced and discarded at an ever-accelerating rate. It's the society that we currently live in, this consumerism. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing that he says that our spiritual satisfaction, our ego satisfaction, our identity, our worth needs to be determined in what we consume. And those things need to break down quickly so that we buy more and consume more and we run this treadmill of stuff. And, and that's where we find ourselves. You see, um, I believe theologically that we have the, this hole in our souls, in our lives that, that is constantly dissatisfied, discontent, disheartened, frustrated. And I, I think that's a hole that's left there out of the garden where we walked with God, but we broke it and we were kicked out and God has left this, this dissatisfaction and this discontentment within our souls in order to drive us back to Him and not find satisfaction in anything else, only in Him. And, and advertisers over the last century have really keyed in on this. And, and rather than just promoting their product, what they're trying to promote is, is hey, my product is actually going to fill this hole, this dissatisfaction, that, that, this discontentment you have with life. And, and, and in some ways, as society lately, the curtain has been closed on spirituality. And, and we live in this naturalistic world where um, there is no spiritual. We are only physical. And the only solution to our needs is a physical, material uh, thing and so so the spiritual has almost been been closed off to people. You're only physical, and so the only way that you can satisfy these deep longings and needs is with money and stuff, with physical things. But we only find that time and time again to be another source of dissatisfaction. Right? How long does the new car really satisfy you for? Is it days? Is it weeks? Until it just becomes that thing in the driveway that needs an oil change. And, and it sends us, again, to, to go and buy something else. And we don't see anything involved in any of these processes or the people along the way. All we see is the end goal and our deep driving need to consume, to try and fill this hole within our souls. It's led to a no-holds-barred pursuit of the American dream. But we know that money and its security is fleeting. It leaves us hollow and our stuff begins to own us. And there have been global results that we often, we just don't see them. Global results to this rampant, out-of-control consumerism, this, this desperate consumerism. We see it in the poverty statistics. We see that 10% of the world, 10%, that's 700 million people, 10% of the world lives on less than $2 a day. Stuck similar to the, the illustration of the, the man making a bowl. 
that's, that's their life. That's what they're stuck in desperate poverty. Um, and and that, that seems unrealistic that people could live on that. But sitting in, in a home in a cool Guatemala, I asked the question to some ladies who were sitting with me. I, I said, what is the average income um, for your families? And they told me that it was $1.56 a day. 50% of the world lives on less than $5.50 a day. And 80% of the world lives on less than $10 a day. The way that we live here in the West, in Canada, is not normal. In fact, we are in the top 1% to 2% globally. And even though you might not feel rich based on the people who live down the street, Globally, when we open our eyes to see the plight of people in the world, we are rich. And James, again, going back to James, James has some difficult things to say to us about our responsibility. He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eated. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last day. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Um, that might not seem like it applies to us, and it's really quite harsh. But when we look beyond the things that we buy, at those who are absorbing the cost so that we can get a great deal, it doesn't look good. Just walk through the dollar store. Walk through the dollar store and look at how cheap those things, even though they're very cheaply made, look at how cheap those things, and start to add up. What about the material? The, the, the raw material that goes into this and the manufacturing cost and the electricity and, and the packaging and the shipping and the store shelves and the you add up all the costs and it makes you go, how in the world could they actually sell this this cheaply? And it's because other people are absorbing the cost so that we can consume with impunity. And I think Living out the kingdom for us means that we need to stop and actually examine globally the way that our consumption habits are, the impact they're having on the world. How, you know, you look at cheap coffee in the grocery store. I mean, how can, how does, you know, three or four dollars a pound pay for the families who are picking those cherries and the harvesting, processing, washing, bagging, transportation, along with the grocery store shelves and the profit margins, all those things, how does it actually cover who is truly paying for this product? And so I believe that justice for us is, 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 is being a part of the economic inequality in our world. And we can't, we can't change it instantly. We can't fix the solution all ourselves. It's not about feeling guilty. I think it's just first about awareness and realizing that, that it's not a zero-sum game that our consumption habits and our desire to get things as cheaply as possible so we can get more has an impact globally on people. And we have a responsibility, I think, as Christians to do something about that. And it's kind of like the story of the, the little girl walking along the beach and it's just littered for miles with these starfish who've been washed up on the shore and she's throwing starfish in the ocean. A man comes by and says, what are you doing? You realize that you, you can't make an impact on all of these starfish and Really, it doesn't matter. And she reaches down and picks up a starfish, and she says, well, it matters to this one. She throws it in, and, and it's, 
I think as, as we look at the plight of poverty in our world, we can't solve it in a moment. There's no easy answer. There's no quick fix. And, and feeling guilty about it isn't going to help us. But I think we need to be aware of the impact that, that our spending habits have, that, that things come from places and from people, and there's an impact, that someone has to absorb the cost for a deal. And that we have a responsibility to start making a difference. We partner with, with some organizations uh, like One Life, One Chance, and with Food for the Hungry, where we're corporately, systematically trying to make an impact in, in areas. And again, it's not the whole world, but it's an area, and it's somewhere that we can start and begin to implement those things. I think it's an acknowledgement that, that our hope, first and foremost, is, is not in our stuff. And I think the justice in this area economically Globally, is, it, it, I think a lot of it comes down to that, sadly and most difficultly, that we need to pay more for our stuff and we need to buy less of it. Again, there's no easy answers, but I think we first need to open our eyes to see the impact that we're having globally because the curtain on much of that is closed so that we don't see where our stuff comes from or what it costs other people in other places. It's an awareness of it, and it's a commitment to, to start to be part of the process of change, of bringing justice into economic inequality in our world. So, not an easy message, but I mean, you look at the verse in James, and it's not an easy verse. The wages of the labor are crying out to us. How will we respond? May we be part of the solution, slowly one part at a time, of, of making things right. Let's pray. God, we confess that, uh, that we live in, in a culture that's so identified by consumerism that we, we just want stuff regardless of the cost to others. God, help us to repent of finding our identity in things, and cheap things, and more things, and help us to... to to unite together, to have a global vision, God, to work towards justice in the area of economics. Help us to break free from the slavery to the ways of our culture and to start making a difference as your people working for your kingdom. God, we pray this in your mighty name, in your gracious name. We thank you for your grace. If you want to know more about how you can help, there's just lots of organizations. Um, go to FH, go to Oxfam, go to, uh, start, start looking into the reality of these things. There's a great little documentary as well that I really appreciate called The Story of Stuff. I encourage you to check it out, Story of Stuff. Um, you can Google it and find that video. It's like 20 minutes, but it's really insightful and challenging as well. Um, we'll talk to you again soon.